Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Did you know that when you share a burden, the load is lightened? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the podcast, is for education only. Some of the subject matter could be triggering for those that are newly grieving or in a poor state of mental health. Please call your local suicide hotline or mental health office if you need immediate help. Hello and welcome back. It's uh, great to be here. I am honored today to present you uh, with a guest that it's taken us a little while to get together, but I'm really thrilled uh, that she's here today. Her name is Barbara Legere, and I want to give you a little bit of background before I bring her on. She's the author of Kevin's Choice, A Mother's Journey Through Her Son's Mental Illness, Addiction, and Suicide. And she has an upcoming book that's called Talk to Me, I'm Grieving supportive ways to help someone through grief. She's been featured in Prevention Magazine, Authority Magazine, Salon, and Huffington Post. She's an advocate for those suffering from substance abuse disorders, mental health issues, and grief. Barbara is an advocate for harm reduction, MAP, which is medically assisted treatment, and ending the stigma towards substance abuse and mental health issues. After losing her son, Kevin, to suicide, her passion has been reaching out to other grievers to offer support and understanding. And she does this through her writing and as a volunteer for TIP. That's the Traumatic Intervention Program. Her book will be released in, I'm not sure if it's August or November, my bad, we'll ask her. Uh, it is the three-year memorial date of her son's death, which uh, would be very meaningful. Barbara is a native Californian, and she resides in Orange County with her sister and a house full of pets, which makes me really happy. Without further ado, Barbara, I'm so glad to have you. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. And I bet those pets give you lots and lots of comfort. I don't know what I would do without them, especially my two little dogs. They, they make all the difference. <laughs> what kind of dogs do you have? Um, well, one of them is a Chi Rat Poo Pika Min Pin. Oh, wow! <laughs> That's what I call him. It's He's a mix. He's a mix of Chihuahua, Rat Terrier, Pekingese Poodle, and a miniature pincher. Oh, and he's wow. only 10 pounds. He's a little guy. And then the other one is a Chihuahua. Um, he's a Chihuahua mix as well, but he's a little, he's much bigger. So. Oh, okay. But they're, yeah, they're the joy of my life. They give me someone to love and give affection to and all that good stuff. Oh, absolutely. And and animals, our pets are, are I think they're so necessary uh, in general, but when you've had a loss to have that unconditional love that you can count on can be a real lifeline yes absolutely and i have kevin my son 
I have his cat. So his cat is very special to me. Oh, oh, that's lovely. That's lovely. So we are here to talk about Kevin and uh, your loss. And let me let me say right off the bat, um, I extend my condolences to you. Um, I said before we came on, I there are no adequate words because I cannot understand. I have not been in your shoes. Thank you so, so much. you're very welcome. Uh, basically, we just converse here. So I'm going to let you take it away and we'll just go from there. Okay. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about my son and his decision to end his life. He, um, Kevin, um, is my only child and I raised him as a single mom. So we were exceptionally close, very, very close. And as early as third grade, I noticed that he showed signs of depression. Um, his teacher even mentioned it to me. So I took it very seriously. And that's when I started getting him therapy. And I actually had him start taking medication. I didn't want him to take medication. I was totally against a child so young doing that. Yeah. So I decided to try it myself because my doctor had been telling me for years that I needed antidepressants. Okay. So when I took them and I realized it doesn't change you, it just lifts the dark cloud. It doesn't change. I thought it changed you in some way. So um, that's when I started Kevin on the medication and it did help him, but it had some side effects that uh, were really hard on him, mm. like weight gain for a, you know, a little boy to get weight gain and then be teased and bullied, oh. which added to his depression. So, yeah. but then as time went on, um, once he got to junior high, that, those were the two best years of his life, seventh and eighth grade. He was, he grew, he was tall and he was more confident. He had more, made new friends because he was at a new school and things were going pretty well. Um, then in high school, Kevin was on the wrestling team and he was a freshman and um, some of the older guys invited him to drink beer and smoke weed. And he, he did. Um, and that's what started him on, on those two things. Luckily, he did not like alcohol because it brought out the worst in him. He was not someone <laughs> that could drink at all. Thankfully, he didn't like it. So... <laughs> Because, yeah, it was not a pretty thing. Then when Kevin was 17, he was introduced to heroin by three friends. And um, two of them tried to talk him out of it. The two guys, they said, don't do it. You know, we're, we're addicted. It's taking over our life. But he, he chose to do it. And, and that's exactly what happened. It took over his entire life. Um, that was the beginning of 13 years of being in and out of rehabs, mental hospitals, jail, prison, um, a little time just being homeless, not for very long because I don't believe in, in throwing your child out. I tried it because everybody said, you have to tough love, you have to send them out on the streets. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't have to do that. It's, and it's a case by case situation. I knew that was the wrong thing for him. So during those years, he, he did make several suicide attempts. 
he tried to overdose and he was unsuccessful. So I was so grateful, but he warned me throughout the years that his life would end this way. And he wanted to make sure I was okay with that. Well, of course I, I'm not okay with that. No, I'm okay with that or any, anyone. So he, um, he, my mom helped me raise him and he waited until a couple years after she passed away. And this time he was very serious because he used a firearm and he took his life. I heard the shot. I knew, I knew what happened. And I just ran upstairs to hopefully be there for his last breath as I was for his first breath, but it was too late. And um, yeah, that was the end of his life. I, I'm, I'm so sorry for the, I can feel the depth of pain that you suffered. And yet the fact that he waited until his grandmother passed. Yeah. He was obviously a very caring young man. Um, yeah, he was very caring, very generous, loyal to his friends. He loved people and he just didn't love himself. He had a hard time loving himself. The I don't know which came first, the mental illness or the addiction. I know the depression was there before the addiction, but he got to the point where he's hearing voices telling him to do things, auditory hallucinations and that sort of thing. Because he also used meth and meth really messed him up. Yeah. That's what landed him in prison. Something he did while on meth that he never would have done normally yeah, um, because yeah. It, it was a, a hallucination that caused him to do what he did. So, so yeah, we did have many conversations about it. And, um, you know, I think he, he wanted me to agree to it and, you know, you can't agree to something like that, no. No. but yet on the other hand, I saw him suffering. The last year of his life was so, so difficult. It was heartbreaking every day. And as the date came closer to when he made that choice, I, it was really bad. I mean, he could barely leave his room and he just was so, so despondent. So I was not surprised, but it still shocks you. Oh, absolutely. My God. Yeah, I still, it's been almost three years. I still can't believe it sometimes. No, to me, that that's still very raw. Yeah. It's, it's still very, very soon. And um, I, I just have to say, you, you seem to be a very strong individual and a very good mom who did all, all you could and more. And I think that may be what allows you to go forward, uh, which is wonderful. And, and the fact that you wrote the book, I think it's, uh, well, commendable, but also a true test of, of who you are, that you wrote the book in order to help other people. Yes. Um, I didn't want, I wanted Kevin's life to matter. 
And so that's why I share his story so openly. And I know he would be 100% okay with that because he shared his story openly at any chance he, he had. When he did have moments of sobriety, he was very happy to talk to other people, show up at meetings and be on panels and all of that and um, talk to people younger than him. He was 29 when he passed. Um, and say, you know, you don't want to go down this road or you can make it, you can do this. So yes, he was very compassionate and I just wanted his memory to mean something. Um, I'm very open in the book. I made mistakes. There was a lot of crazy stuff that happened, but I want people to, to see what it's like for someone like Kevin and to see what it's like for a parent of someone like Kevin, because there are I'm not unique. There are so many of us out there living this way. And it is so difficult. The years of watching your child slowly leave you. It's like you're grieving them before they're gone because of the drugs. Yes. They're not the same person. You're grieving who they once were and who they may not, may not be um, because it just affects your whole life. Even if you continue living on, there are so many negative side effects to the drug use, especially if you have a felony and it affects all areas of your life. Oh, absolutely. That, that, the felony would certainly wouldn't help, but the, the drug use itself is so detrimental physically, mentally, yes. emotionally, all of those things. It's, it's not, uh, it's not, you know, one thing that the drugs do to you. There's, there's so many pieces to it. Uh, exactly. And yeah, yeah. But there is hope because there's so many people that have recovered too. I mean, I never want to make it sound hopeless or dark because I know so many people that are doing well and have changed their entire life around and now they're giving back to others. Absolutely. And that's a really, really important point mm -hmm. because I believe it's never too late. No, never, ever. And, and I think that's, um, it's the TIP program that you work with? Yes, Trauma Intervention Program. I became a volunteer at the beginning of this year, and it is the most rewarding thing I've ever done. I don't know if you've heard of TIP. No, I haven't. <laughs> I'll tell you a little bit about it because it's really a fascinating concept. And it's a nonprofit organization. It's nationwide, but there's a it's not in every single city. It goes city by city. And what it is, is when a first responder is called to a scene, and let's say there's a death in the home or a car accident, a suicide, a murder, whatever it is that leaves someone there devastated. Like they sent someone to my house when Kevin yes. died. And she helped me so much that day. What we do is we just offer support to the person because the, the first responders have to leave. They have to leave this person that's devastated, crying, yes. hysterical, and go on to their next call. So we come in and we stay with the person. We comfort them. We will do anything that we can to make it easier for them. Like typically, I will call the mortuary for them. Um, and we always stay until things have settled down. Like if it's a death in the home, we stay until the person has been removed because that's a really hard part of it. That yes. was so hard for me was watching them take him away. Um, 
So I, I find it very rewarding just to be there for that person because I know what it feels like to have somebody um, acknowledge and validate your pain and what you're going through. It's like, I think the most important thing the woman that came to my house was, said to me was, um, in between my crying and screaming, she said, tell me about Kevin. And that meant the world to me because it changed the whole focus. I actually smiled and I spent like a half an hour telling her all about how wonderful he was. And I really needed that during that moment. So that's a, that's a really, really We're always looking for volunteers. So if it's in your city, you yeah. have intense training, but it's so worth it. Well, I, I think it's really important because that has to be the very worst time to be alone is when you've yes. lost someone. Yes. And, and yeah, in, in any format, uh, oh, more yeah. so when it's your child and, and even more so when it's by their hand. Yes. But anyone who is alone, I think. And even if they're not alone, it's, they're often the whole, like the other night I was with the family and they were all, they didn't know what to do. They were all. Yeah. yeah. It was an older gentleman. He was 98 years old. So it wasn't a big surprise, but they still, they didn't know what to do. What do we do? What happens next? And I was able to do it for them, explain what was going on. And that just gave them a lot of comfort that, okay, we can just sit here. We don't have to worry about details. Yeah. 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 Cause it, it can be very traumatizing for everybody when, when yeah. you don't know. Yeah, you, you can't really think straight in those moments. You're just yeah. not, you're not yourself. Yeah, that's very true. And what, first of all, how did you get to a place where you could write the book? Were you always a writer? I've always loved writing. I'd never published anything. I just wrote in journals. When blogging came out way back in the 90s, I started blogging. Um, and then Kevin and I had talked about writing a book about his recovery, which obviously never happened. So it was only three months after he passed away that I I just got this voice in my head saying, you got to write the book. You got to write. It would not leave me alone. I didn't want to write the book. I really didn't. But it would not stop. And so I joined a writing group and learned everything that you need to learn about self-publishing and writing. And with that group of people that I meet, still meet with five days a week on Zoom for an hour, <laughs> they have helped me so much in in my recovery from you know, losing my son. So yeah, that's how I wrote it. And then after I wrote that book, I realized there's such a need for people to understand how to support a grieving person because we don't talk about it in our society. Absolutely. We use the cliches that we've all heard all, all our lives without stopping to think, well, wow, did I really mean that? Because that's not the best thing to say. Yeah. Yeah, no, you are absolutely right. And and one of the the reasons that I wanted you on the show is because you talked about ending the stigma. And that, for me, that is my mission. I want to end the silence, the stigma, and the shame that surrounds suicide. 
because we don't know how to talk to others. So basically people don't talk. They don't talk about it. And things that you don't talk about, they fester. Absolutely. And and I can certainly attest to that because I didn't talk about anything for 39 years. That is not a recipe for success. It's important for us, uh, feelings in general are meant to flow and go, and we, we should not hold them in. But you said uh, something really, really important, and the fact that Kevin was depressed in grade three, more people have to realize, okay, and that that's what this mission is all about. It's about getting into elementary schools and explaining to children that all the thoughts that are in your head are not necessarily real. They're not necessarily true. And you don't have to act on every thought that runs through your head. But we don't explain to children that we can have dark thoughts. We don't talk about the fact that You know, sometimes the little voices in our head say to do bad things to ourselves. And we can't put an end to this unless we bring it into the light. Oh, that is so 100% important and true what you just said. It is so important because we talk to children about health, but we don't talk to them about mental health. And, And you're so right. If we normalize it and everybody realizes that oh okay these thoughts everybody has these thoughts or it's okay to say i'm depressed today or i feel whatever you're feeling i yeah it's so important to reach children young it really is and if it was normal then everybody would do it and they wouldn't be ashamed to ask for help it would be normal to ask for help yeah Absolutely. And and that is my greatest wish, that taking away that shame, everybody can talk about those dark times in your head, because you're absolutely right. Everybody has them at one point or another. But we're all so conditioned to cover up and not say anything for a variety of different reasons. You know, different generations have different reasons for that. But Kevin was not a one of. There's a lot of kids in grade three that are depressed. Yes. And, you know, not talking about it or hoping it'll go away doesn't solve the problem. No. No, it absolutely doesn't. And... Oh, I just lost my train of thought. I was going to say something. Third grade. Oh, I can't remember. That's (laughs) okay. That's part of grief, too, is that it does change your brain chemistry. And it's sometimes very difficult for me to come up with a word that I know or remember what I'm talking about. But um, in, in that early grade, oh, I remember what I was going to say. What you just said reminded me of cutting children that start cutting themselves and they are cutting themselves because they're holding something in 
and they want to they harm themselves rather than talk to someone. And I know some families parents aren't safe to talk to, but the large majority of them are. And if you're unable to talk to your parent, then hopefully you have a teacher or an aunt or an uncle or someone at church or whatever, but they need to know it's 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 important to share if they're feeling that way. Because there's no shame in it. There's no shame in it. It's normal. Absolutely. And and that's the that's the piece. The hurdle we have to get over is getting to children early enough to let them know, okay, doesn't matter what it is, talk to somebody. Yes. Tell tell an adult. Yes. And and you're absolutely right. There are times where your family is not the safe place. But a, a teacher, a neighbor, somebody. And, yeah. and if you try talking to people, I guarantee you someone will listen. I agree. I agree. And at that early age, it's, it's like you don't understand what's going on. But if it's normalized and talked about in school, then you know it, it is it is okay. It's everybody goes through it. It's the feeling alone in something I think that's that makes it so hard. Absolutely. And the people that don't understand it too, like I remember my mom would say, Well, you have nothing to be depressed about if yeah. I was depressed. What do you have to be depressed about? You know? And that's the thing. It you don't have a reason. It's it's a chemical imbalance in your brain. Yeah. So, you know. You don't need a reason. Yes. You just need to let someone else know. Yes. Because we're always stronger with someone else. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Fighting our battles alone is, is definitely not the way to go. And I, I heard something last night on the news and the whole thing was, as a child, this person believed he was the only one ever mm. how he was feeling. He was the only person in the world ever because he didn't share it with anyone because he didn't know that he could. Mm. And, and that, to me, there are so many things that we we, you know, sweep under the rug or, or hide in the dark that we really don't need to. And until we, we encourage, not just allow, we need to encourage our children exactly. to be open with whatever it is. Yes, the adults need to be proactive with the children yes. and let yes. them... We need to take the initiative on that. Exactly what you just said. Exactly. Absolutely. I think that I think that's absolutely critical. And and that's you know until we start and keep talking about this, till we get to all the right people, so that it becomes a normal conversation. Yes, and, and, I think it's getting a little tiny bit better, but yeah. it has a long, long way to go. Yeah, there's there's a little crack of light in that doorway, just a little one, but that's that's when we, we gotta start pulling that door open. Yes, exactly. 
And and that brings me to your new book that's coming out, uh, which I think is wonderful because you're absolutely right. You know, I, I often said when my children were young, they don't come with a manual. I have no idea what I'm doing. There's a lot of things in life that don't. So you know what? I think it's time we wrote some manuals. So this is absolutely, you know, the right time. Well, not certainly not before it's time. But tell us a little bit about what people will find in the Thank you. I really hope it helps people. Um, my book, it talks about, it's both for the griever and someone that wants to support a griever. And we're all going to be in both places at some time. It's a universal thing. Um, it talks about different types of grief, different types of loss. So it's not just focused on suicide or it's, it's focused on losing a marriage, losing a job, losing a pet, um, losing your health. So there's all different kinds of grief that people go through that I want people to be aware of that, you know, it's not just someone who loses someone to death that is going through a very hard time and could use some support. And I have chapters explaining, like one chapter said, is called It's Not About Me, because it's so common for us and we all do this i've done this yeah we all compare our story to someone else and and that is the least helpful thing it just makes the the grieving person feel like wow they don't care about me they're talking about their own mother's death and there's a whole list of things that um, people say that could be said differently or not said at all yeah. And I give suggestions of what to say and do that is supportive. And I've got this information mostly from being in a support group myself for it's almost eight years. I, I lost someone to overdose. He was Kevin's friend and he was like my second son. He, uh. he tru truly was. So I joined a support group for parents just who had lost someone to overdose. And I learned so much. And I also had support for myself when Dick Kevin did die. I already had this wonderful group of people in my life that helped me, but that's where I learned most of what I share in the book. So it, we all feel the same way. And I, I think if you could understand, and you can't really understand unless you've been in the exact same shoes, but that's what I'm trying to do. Give people an idea of how it feels and what we need and like you say, it, talking is the most comforting, helpful, you know, letting it out. I mean, that's my favorite thing to do is talk about Kevin. I, oh, I yeah. talk about him all day long. And that's what helps heal me is talking about the fun memories, reminding Absolutely. me that he wasn't who you see on the outside. He was a beautiful, beautiful person. So, yeah, that's, yes. that's what the book is about. And celebrating and honoring your son. Yes. Which I, I think is incredibly important. And, and something I'm sure you are aware and, and can touch on is um, people deciding there's a, a time limit. For oh, grief. yeah. There is no time limit on grief. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there isn't. I mean, it changes and it flows. Uh -huh. But you never get over it. 
if you have a significant loss, you do not really get over it. It's you get to different points. Like, you know, it's different losing a friend than losing a son or losing a spouse and losing a parent. They're all different, but they're all so deep and they change our, they change our lives. Absolutely. And, and depending on who you are and, and how you internalize, how you go through life, that will dictate for you how your grief ebbs and flows. But I don't believe there is an end. I just believe there is a metamorphosis into something different. That is such a beautiful way to put it. I agree with you. you. Yeah, many people do think there's an end. And I I list a bunch of these things in my book, too. Like, um, when are you going to be back to your old self? Or, come on, snap out of it. You're no fun anymore. Or, you know, things like that. It's it's amazing, some of the insensitive things that are said. But I did change the moment I lost him. I changed as a person. I'm doing things I never would have done before, like speaking in front of a, an audience. I would never have done that. You couldn't have paid me a million dollars to do that. <laughs> that was my greatest fear. And now it's kind of like everything's in perspective. What really matters? Yeah. The only thing that really matters is people. We're all here together. It, each other, that's what matters. And being kind and supportive and understanding and trying to help in any way we can. That's how I get through each day is I just, that's what I try to do. It gives me a purpose because I, I felt like I didn't have a purpose anymore. My purpose was keeping my son alive. And I, I did not accomplish that. I don't want to say I failed at that, but I did. I did fail at that. I could not, love cannot save someone. No, no. And I don't believe you failed. You did all you could do as his mother. But we aren't meant to walk another's journey, even if they are our child. And as difficult and painful as it is, it is their journey to walk however long that journey is. So it isn't your failure. It wasn't. It wasn't your win. If if he stayed with you, it it was his. And yeah. so you did all you could do as a mom. And, and I think that's incredible. Yeah. And the fact that you're going you're going farther to leave this legacy for Kevin that will resonate long long after i believe thank you so much thank you i'm i'm so um i'm so glad we we got to have this time together uh, barbara i i so appreciate uh, your story and your journey and the fact that you uh have taken it upon yourself to be in service the way you are, because I think that's really important. And it's very telling that you joined a support group for the other son that you chose to stand behind, which just shows what an empathetic individual you are to me. 
Thank you so much. And thank you, Elaine, for all you're doing to bring awareness and end the stigma. You know, we just, I really appreciate your podcast. I've been listening to it. Well, thank you. Thank you. I just, yeah, let's, I just want to keep us going so that, that we can really make this the norm. That suicide is a word that, that can be said without trying to hide. Yes. So I just want to say thank you so much uh, for coming on with me today. As you know, all of uh, Barbara's information will be on her episode page. There will be links to the her book uh, about Kevin and also her new book, which will be coming out soon. And all of the links are there. Be sure that uh, if you want to get in contact with Barbara, you go right to the page and you can click wherever you need there. I'm sure that will be very useful. And I know that uh, you're going to do great things for the community and uh, help a lot of people. So get out there and get that book so that you too can be supportive for those around us that are perhaps struggling and we're not sure, let's learn what we can so that we can be there for everybody that's in our lives when they need us. Thank you so much for being my guest. I really, really appreciate it. And as I say to our audience, always make the most of your today every day. And we're going to see you next time. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on your favorite service. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you on page one in the search results. And also by Canada's keynote humorist, Judy Kroon, the motivational speaker, comedian, author, and stand-up coach at Second City. On the stage, Judy draws from her wealth of performance experience, wit, and insight to entertain, inform, and inspire in her dynamic keynotes and half-day workshops.